0: We turn in God's word this morning for or this evening for the reading of that word to the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, second chapter. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to begin reading at verse 4. Genesis chapter 2 beginning to read at verse 4. Let us hear not the words of men, not the theory of science, but let us hear the very words of God. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. The day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of the Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. Name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man shall be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field, She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. And the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our Father art in heaven, we thank you for this portion of your word. We thank you for all the beauty that you have created. We ask that you will be with Pastor Bob as he speaks on this. This we ask in your name alone. Amen. Amen. So first of all, just uh, three notes uh, in introduction. Uh, first of all, to the series of itself, uh, I've had this uh, laying in a folder uh, in my file cabinet for I, I would say anywhere from 10 to 15 years. Um thinking about this and reflecting upon it, but the time never just seemed to work out right uh, for this. Um, Something else uh, always seemed to be, at that time, a little more pressing. Um, But uh, as I was planning out sermons uh, late last fall, uh, I came across uh, these uh, notes that I had made in regards to the trees of the Bible and thought, well, okay, now I'm going to do it. So uh, that's just good. There's nothing else back there other, other than some thoughts of Pastor Bob uh, many, many years ago. But there's also uh, a reminder of, of just uh, introduction to the, to the passage itself. Um, there, there's a lot of dispute about these things. And yet, uh, in, in our world today, uh, in our culture, but even in the church... Um, And sadly, it it leads to a lot of distortion. And we need to be those who simply look at God's Word and acknowledge it. There are certain things that are not answered for us. There are certain things uh, in this passage uh, that God's Word does not supply the answer to, and we simply have to be satisfied with that and not uh, somehow try to extrapolate beyond what God's Word teaches The third thing is, I just call your attention to what we are not told. And and let's not make dogmatic that which we are not told. One, we are not told what the fruit is. So don't ever claim it's an apple. right? Because we're not told. I mean, that's that's the way the world takes this. And, And sometimes the world takes it that way more to make a mockery of the story than it does to somehow add some sort of validity to it. So, one, we're never told the fruit. We're told it's a tree that bears fruit, but the type of fruit, the color of the fruit, is never told us. And that's just one of those areas that it does no good to to try to imagine, wonder what fruit it is, wonder what fruit it is. God has seen fit not to tell us the type of fruit, the exact nature of the fruit God is saying to us is unimportant. If it were important, God would have told us and informed us of it. So, those notes as as just introduction to kind of... Get them to the side so we don't get... I, I don't want you sitting there thinking the whole time as I go through this message. God, I wonder what fruit it was. I wonder what fruit it is. We don't have to think about that. It, it's unimportant to the account that God has laid before us. So I really want to just lay before you two things tonight in regards to this trees of the Bible. And as we work our way through... And as I did with the animals of the Bible, it might be good to sit down over the course of the next several weeks and maybe just uh, with your family, especially with children, and just ask them, can you think of any Bible stories that have trees in them, that a tree was an important part of the story? Just see what kind of things your children can come up with, uh, as well as perhaps you yourself. But as we look at the text today, there's two things to lay before you. One, there is the fact that there is an understanding of God's general creation of trees. But Genesis 2 is about God's specific planting of two trees. Two trees that have eternal consequences to them. God's general creation of trees. If we go back to Genesis chapter 1, we read that on the third day, starting at verse 11, God says, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants, yielding seeds, fruit trees, bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So on the third day, after light had been created, after Ground had been formed and the waters and the dry land have been separated. God calls forth vegetation on the third day. It's an act of God. Trees are a creation of God. They were there from the very beginning of time. It is one of the first creative acts of God in this world. And I think that it's those kinds of things that to me make me think, I think sometimes we're too dismissive. That somehow God creating trees, well, why are we spending a sermon series dealing with trees? Aren't there more important things? It is one of the first things God created. And throughout Scripture, he continues to point us to trees. It would seem that perhaps God has a lesson for us in the trees that he created. The second thing I want to say about this general creation of trees is just please note, they're mature. They're not seedlings. God doesn't plant seeds And then waits for these trees to grow. On the third day, the earth brought forth trees. That already have fruit. That already have seeds inside of the fruit. You and I who have the blessing and joy of living in West Michigan. Of of thinking about trees and the fruit that grows around here. We know that doesn't happen overnight. We know that's a long process. We know that takes time. From our side of things. But God in his creation on that third day brings forth out of the ground. The earth brings forth mature trees. I've probably mentioned it more than once, but it needs bearing Particularly kids, Lord willing, keep the second Sunday of February in mind when we come back to a children's illustration. But if we had been there and cut down one of those trees, there would have been rings in it. It was mature. It was created with age. We we seem to forget about this. In terms of the whole discussion of creation and evolution and all the other theories that go along with those who want to draw us away from the truth of God's Word and the truth of creation, there was maturity in all that God made. Everything God made had age in it. Why would God do such things? To show forth His power? Doesn't it strike you that the first miracle of Jesus in the New Testament is the creation of aged wine? Not new wine, aged wine. But yet it was made in a moment, in an instant. It shows forth the power of God. He doesn't have to create, even as we make things. He can create something Old, in a moment, in an instant. But as we turn now more specifically to our lesson for this evening, this planting, right? Window bush, verse 5, of the field, we read about the creation of man, right? So we're back there. So what we're saying is this. You say, well, wait a minute, you just talked about creation, Yes, but creation has not yet begun to reproduce. These fruit trees, none of the seeds, have fallen into the ground and now are producing new and young plants. That's all verse 5 is telling us. Oh, so it couldn't be millions and millions and millions of years between Day three and day six when he creates man. It could not be long ages. Why? Because none of the trees have even begun. None of the vegetation. None of the things with seed in it. Has begun to multiply yet. Well of course. After three days it doesn't do that. And God's just telling us that. He's informing us of it. We allow scripture To inform us. Go down to verse 8. So he creates man. Now what does God do? And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. See he takes a specific act now. Genesis 1 is God's general act of creation. But now that he has formed man. He does something very specific. For man to live, a habitat, a home, a place for man to dwell, he creates a garden. He plants the garden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Maybe you've never thought about Genesis 2 in that way. But it's good to see that that which God is providing for Adam. That which God is giving to Adam. And there in that garden, we are told, verse 9, out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So he does it again in the garden. He's not waiting for seedlings to grow up. He plants a garden. He plants trees. And then in the midst of the garden. Don't miss that word. In the midst of the garden. What does that word midst mean? It means the center point of the garden. So you have the garden. It's specified. It will have dimensions. It's not like the earth. The garden is not the earth. The garden is a smaller tract of land with dimensions, with boundaries. And in the midst of that plot of ground, in the middle, in the center point, God causes two specific trees. To come forth. The tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In the midst. He doesn't put it on the edges, he doesn't put it on the sides. What does that tell us? It tells us these trees are important. He's drawing our attention to these trees by placing them. In the middle of the garden. The center point. So that in a sense, wherever you go, you're always encountering these trees. They, they become the, the thing that, that you're, as it, as Adam and later Eve are going to be moving around, they're always going to be coming in contact with. You can't live life without coming into contact without noticing without it without seeing both this tree of life and this tree of knowledge of good and evil and although the tree of life is mentioned first we're going to deal with the tree of knowledge of good and evil what are we told about this specific tree that god planted this isn't chance this isn't Oh, wow, look at that. There's a tree there. Let's call it knowledge of good and evil. God put it there. God planted it. What are we told? Well, verse 17, we are told that there is a specific command given regarding this tree. Every other tree, which would mean what? What other tree are they allowed to eat of? The tree of life. There's no commandment that they cannot eat of the tree of life. That's not forbidden. They may eat of any tree except God commands them. You may not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's the one tree. What is God doing? Why why does God give a no? This is the other covenant. This is the covenant of works. This is God coming and saying, look, I made these trees. It's my right to decide. You may eat of any other tree. This particular tree, though, Adam, you may not eat of. It's the covenant of works. Will you obey? Will you do what I say? Will you follow my command? If you follow my commands, you shall live. If you don't follow my command, you're going to die. That's the penalty, right? So we have a command given, and we have a penalty. In the day that thou eatest thereof, if you eat of this tree, you're going to die. You will not live. So yes, it's called the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but in a sense, what we have is the tree of life and the tree of death. If you eat of it, you will die. It's a covenant. It's a requirement. God, being God, being the one who created the trees, has the right to decide whether or not man can eat. Of those trees. Man doesn't get to decide. We don't get to pick and choose. We're the creature. Listen, listen. Think about how this, this background of this. And he forms man out of the dust of the earth. He breathes into man. What right does man have in all of this? None. God comes in a covenant relationship. And we might say as well to test. Will man obey? Does God know what's going to happen? Absolutely. That's why there's a second tree. That's why there's not just one tree. That's why there's two trees. Because he knows what's going to happen. So we have a command given. We have a command with a penalty. And what did I read when we came to Genesis chapter 3? We came to the fact that the command is disobeyed. How is the command disobeyed? They take and they eat. The command was, you shall not eat. They ate. They disobeyed the command. Do you know, there's something interesting. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not. When you go back to Genesis 2, think of the order this happened in. God creates man. God plants a garden. God tells the man. There's two trees here. Every tree of the garden you may eat, that one tree you may not eat thereof. What's God's next action? He creates woman. Did Eve ever hear the command from God Himself? No. Who does God give the responsibility to to inform Eve what the command is? Adam. Men? Husbands, it's not your wife's responsibility to be informing you of God's truth. We should be so immersed in God's truth that we're the ones leading our wives. And sadly, sadly, in our day and age and in our society this is not happening there are far too many women far too many wives who are teaching and training their husbands you want to you want to understand what's happening in culture Look no farther than the church of Jesus Christ. And the sadness, the sadness of all sorts of Adams who are not teaching their own wives. It's sad. It should not be. Men, we need to be men. We need to step up to the plate we need to do a far much better far better job than we have been doing as men the spiritual side of our family is not our wife's responsibility it is ours God told us how did he tell us he created Adam gave the command then creates Eve leaving it to Adam to inform her how did he do Read what Eve says. How does he do? How does he handle his responsibility? Did he do it? The answer is yes, he did. Because she knows the command. Right? She says to the devil, we shall not eat of that. But do you see what also happened? They went beyond the command. And we shall not touch it. Where did that come from? Does God ever say in Genesis chapter 2 to Adam you shall not touch of the fruit? God only said you shall not eat of it. And the day you do you shall die. Eve's response to the serpent is, we shall not eat of it, we shall not touch it. Now, if she was wrong, if Adam had taught her, you shall not eat, where is he? Oh, Genesis chapter 3, standing right next to her. He's not the other side of the garden. He's not pruning the grapes over on the other side. And Eve says, hey Adam, come over here. I just ate of this fruit and it's really good. Have some. He's right there. What does that mean? That means he approves of what she has said. Even though that isn't exactly what God has commanded. He's failing. He's failing as the man that God created him to be. He's failing as well. Why? He's standing right there. What does he see her do? Take the fruit and eat it. Where's the line that says, and Adam grabbed her arm and says, Eve, do not eat of that fruit. Remember, God gave us a command. He doesn't stop her. And he participates in it. Now, as you look through Scripture, upon whose shoulders does this fall? As in Adam, we all sin. Falls on Adam's shoulders. It's our responsibility, men. Never thought you were going to get this out of the tree sermons, were did you? Didn't think we were going to go here. See what God's teaching us. See, if we'd ignored these trees and don't pay attention to the trees that God created, the failures that creep in to our lives, the failures that creep in to Eve. She knew the command, but she also ate. God wants us to pay attention to the trees the command was disobeyed and oh the consequences for them their relationship to God their relationship to each other their relationship even to their own selves their own beings their relationship to creation for creation we see the change we see the shift The fear and dread now begins to fall. Creation now begins to not be cooperative with man or be a benefit to man, but now becomes one that becomes an obstacle to be overcome. There is now decay, there is now violence, and there is now death. And today we look around and we still live with all of those consequences. Whether it's the consequences for Adam and Eve as individuals or as a married couple or as humanity. We still see the effects today in the creation around us. The diseases, the death, the pandemics, the riots, the anger, the abuse, divorce. You want to explain to somebody who says to you, why are all these bad things happening? You know where you need to take them? You need to take them to the trees. The trees in the middle of the garden explain everything. They explain it all. But there was a second tree, was there not? A second tree, the tree of life. I want to note for you three things about this tree of life because we're going to follow this one through frequently. So this is kind of the general understanding this morning or this evening. But the first thing I want you to note is what a gift. See, this is grace. That tree, that tree of life, is in the middle of that garden as a gift. God provides and desires life. In Genesis chapter 3, after the whole fall and everything, and God has come and dealt with Adam and Eve and the serpent, God then speaks within the Holy Trinity. And he says in verse 22 of chapter 3, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. He's not talking to angels. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. You see what that tree represents? represents everlasting life, eternal life. See, there was a tree of death, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that. Don't eat it. You're going to die. But God also provided a tree of life. That if they ate of it, they would live. Do you know what occurs to me? I don't know if you've ever thought this one either. Once they sinned, why didn't they eat of the tree of life? Because a sinner's heart never turns to God. Only God can turn a sinner's heart. See, they never ate of it. They sinned. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... They hide, they sow fig leaves, they do all this stuff, they talk to God, but it never occurs to them to eat of the tree of life. Fallen man never thinks to turn to God. Fallen man never thinks to turn to life. It takes grace. It takes God's work. It takes an act of God's love to turn the sinner's heart to life. It's a gift. But the reason God says, we need to get man out of this garden. And we need to keep him and bar him from the tree of life is because there is only one possible means now by which man can live. From the moment they took a bite of that fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, there became only one tree possible of giving life. Keep your finger here. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. Excuse me. It's 1 Peter chapter 2. Make your job easier. One less book. Go all the way down to verse 24, near the end of the chapter. 1 Peter 2:24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. It's only one tree that's going to bring life. The tree of life. It's the only tree. But it's not the tree that was in the garden. It's another tree. It's another tree as we make our way through God's word. We're going to come to. It is an awful tree. But to those who believe, it is a beautiful tree of life. It's a sign, you see. It's a sign. This tree in the garden. This tree of life. God knows they're going to eat. God knows death is coming. But God's given us a sign. A sign of grace. There is also a tree of life. But do you know that tree of life does not disappear? Do you know the tree of life emerges again in the Bible? It's taken from the Garden of Eden. And we find it again in glory. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life. The tree of life. There it is. There it is in glory. Glory. By a river once again. It's just kind of interesting. Genesis 2 makes such a big deal that the garden was by these rivers. Now we we find again the tree of life. And where is it? It's by the river of life. That flows from the throne of God. And there it is. There is the tree of life. And what do we learn about it? We learn that it has 12 kinds of fruit. Yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You know what's the most beautiful thing about this tree? There's only one. There's only one in glory. There's no tree of knowledge of good and evil. There is no longer any death. There is no longer any sin. The old order of things has passed away. And now in glory stands but a... Singular type of tree. A tree of life. A tree lining the river flowing from the throne of God. And its purpose is that its leaves are for the healing of the nations. An interesting thought, isn't it? What about its fruit? What's what's the fruit for? The fruit, my friends, is what we have in Christ salvation. Remember that Christ is tree of life and from him proceeds life from those leaves of his salvation there is healing there is restoration there is peace but you see we need to be willing to encounter The two trees in the garden. And if we're not willing to encounter those two trees. And the reality of those two trees. We're never going to know. The reality. Of the tree. Of salvation. Of Christ. Ah. The beauty. The beauty. Of glory. I can't wait to see. I can't wait to experience. I can't wait to soak in. What's that song Mark picked? Knowing more and more and more of Christ. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for pointing us to Christ. Thank you for trees. The testimony that every time we see one now, we we can think of your grace in and through that tree upon which Christ bore all of our sin. In his name. God's people say, Amen.